Hello and welcome to the Maps Communications 2020 podcast, a series podcast where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Stuart Bly, Head of Research and Information for Royal Museums Greenwich. Would you like to introduce yourself Stuart and talk about how you came to be in your position? Yes, hi Faith, good morning everyone. Um, yeah, so, so I've been at the Maritime Museum since 2013, I think. So uh, initially to look after the Caird Library and Archive, that is the Library and Archive for the museum. Um, and now I'm in charge of research and information, which includes the curatorial team uh, and all aspects of research. So that's been a, a sort of steep learning curve for me. But previously I've worked in, in archives um, as county archivist in Kent. Um, and before that in Bexley uh, and in Croydon. So yeah, yeah, it's been a bit of a winding route, but I've ended up in Greenwich. So how do you spend an average day nowadays? It sounds like you've got a large team and a big remit. Yeah, it's interesting actually, because we, we've got, I should think about 30, 35, 36 staff in the research and information department. So um, they cover, as I said, the library uh, and the curatorial teams. Um, so the days are very varied, actually. A lot of it's spent in meetings because it's um, assessing strategy, particularly to do with research. We have a, a pretty lively a research program, which um, the research we do uh, obviously results in the museum's programs and exhibitions, galleries, events. Um, so that's a constantly changing um, uh, program that we we uh, do in, in tandem with other people. So um, we, we might be in partnership with a university, for example, with a community group, um, with another museum. So, so yeah, lots of, I would say, I, I mean, most of the day is spent in meetings, but that's either with staff at the museum um, or external staff to advise, but they can be anything from discussing the publications um, uh, agenda, which publications we're gonna do next, which types of research collaboration we, we're gonna do, what sort of um, uh, exhibitions are coming up, um, uh, and also events, of course, conferences, um, uh, community events like um, Diwali. We have a, a big event for Diwali um, each year, plus Chinese New Year, um, where we link with the local community. So, yeah, really varied. And I found that really interesting coming from a library and archive background, um, working in the National Museum. Um, it has been really interesting, actually, in working out how the collections can relate to, to all that. So it sounds like you're really interconnected with lots of other organisations and, and people um, for different projects. Who accesses your collection and, and for what purposes? I think there's, there's, there's um, the archive collection um, is perhaps exactly as you, you'd um, probably guess. I think half of the people who access the archive collection, there's about 6,000 of them uh, who actually visit each year. Um, and half of those are probably doing family history um, the other half more targeted research, so they may be a maritime historian or a historian generally, um, uh, or potentially um, authors. Um, we've had a few film crews in. We had one film crew in for Pirates of the Last Par Pirates of the Caribbean film, looking at the original diaries of, of, of pirates uh, and sailors at sea at that time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's varied really, but certainly family history is a, is, um, is a big um, push at the moment. I read, I don't know if this is correct, that you have three miles of storage for your collection. I think I was just trying to work out then when you said three miles, what, what um, that is in kilometres. But if, it, if it's around 10, 11 kilometres, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's something like that. Yeah, that's so, more than three miles. That's more than three miles. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's like so six it's six miles. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I think it's 12, 12 kilometres for the actual, for the archive collection. And then you've obviously got the objects as well. And we've recently um, uh, built a, well, an extension and a new facility uh, in Kibra, which is fairly near the, near the museum called the Prince Philip Maritime Collection Centre. And that houses most of the objects. So that, again, is probably another um, uh, seven kilometres or so. Wow. So what type of material do you have in your collection? You must have a, a lot of papers but also physical things as well yeah yeah it's um i mean the, the the bulk of the collection is the archive which as i say is probably about 12 kilometers worth um and in that collection you, there's there's diaries um journals um all the sort of manuscript volumes we've got uh, a large run of admiralty lieutenants logs and navy board volumes uh we've also got crew lists um dating from the 1860s through to um right up to 1994 Masters and mates certificate for, for um, merchant navy ships um, from again the mid 19th century through to um, around the 1920s. Um, so we have what you'd expect normally in an archive, obviously much more sea focused, maritime focused. But then on the object side, we, we have a huge range of things. So we, we you know, have a, a fantastic and world renowned collection of globes. We have uh, obviously, as you'd expect, charts and maps. We have um, <clears throat> a lot of ordnance, so cannons, swords, um, uh, and guns, basically. Uh, we have a, a fine art collection, which is um, extensive um, and based on the collection that was originally at the um, Royal Naval College. Um, and we also um, have a, a large photographic collection uh, and collections of ship plans as well. So the full range of things you'd expect, actually, um, uh, in terms of a National Maritime Museum. But you also, so Royal Museums Greenwich also incorporates the observatory as well. Does that have a collection too? Yeah, yeah, and that's within the main collection. So uh, people will know that the Harrison chronometers are probably, um, the, the, these fantastic um, uh, timekeepers developed by John Harrison to um, allow people to keep time properly on, on board ship. Um, but yeah, there's, there's astronomical astronomical collections uh, as well uh, and observations from the observatory although the bulk of that is at Cambridge University where the, where the um, observatory moved to um, and we also of course have the Cutty Sark uh, and the Queen's House as part of the, the group with the museum uh, and we have collections relating to those as well. Okay so you've got um, items up at Cambridge do you also lend items to other museums and organizations? Yeah, we do. We have a, a quite a lively program with loans because, as you can imagine, we probably only have about 5% or so of what we've got on display um, yeah. in the galleries. Um, and obviously, uh, there's a lot available through the library that anyone can visit um, and join. Um, but yeah, we loan objects all the time um, to various different places across the world. In fact, um, people will probably know at the moment, we've, although we're closed, we have the, 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 the three queens, the three Armada portraits um, of Elizabeth I and that's the first time those three have been brought together. So it was really unfortunate that we had to close. So it was yeah. only open for about a month or so. Um, but they were they were loaned in and we're about to, um, uh, one of those is about to be loaned out to a museum in Japan. So so yeah, a lot constantly being requested. Um, uh, items are constantly being requested for loans. Um, what are the particular challenges that come with managing such a large collection? If, if you're loaning things out, that's a lot of logistics and things like that. It is, yes. And, and, and obviously, you know, with the, with the COVID pandemic, that becomes increasingly um, uh, an issue. Uh, we've 
you know, I was in a meeting last week talking about the reopening of archives and libraries um, and potential quarantining of documents. Once people have, have handled them and looked at them, then they may have to be quarantined for 72 hours before we can um, let people use them again. So you can imagine with an international loan going across time zones, um, checking out the facilities in the in the receiving institution, the museum, um, for these things that are going on loan, it, it's a big job and we have to obviously courier the documents um, to wherever they're going. Um, we had a, an exhibition on Dr. John Franklin, um, who was the polar explorer who was who disappeared and many um, theories about why he disappeared um, and why the, the whole crew um, disappeared. Um, but we had to loan, uh, you know, the, the exhibition went on to Canada um, and um, I was talking to a colleague who was involved with those loans. Um, they had to choose between, you know, sort of air, um, uh, using an aeroplane to do, to move that around Canada or trucks. And obviously you then have to work out where the trucks are going, whether, <laughs> whether the roads are suitable. So you yeah. get down to that amount of detail. It's a, it's a huge amount because obviously these items are unique. So that's what all your meetings are about, or boring. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. but it's a big responsibility, obviously. Yeah. There, you know, it is. It is the probably the most extensive collection on maritime um, uh, to do with maritime, um, the maritime world in the world. And we think there's a bigger uh, archive in Russia that's a bigger maritime archive, but that's a naval um, archive, not open to the public. But but we probably hold the most extensive collection. You have, you mentioned, you know, only 5% is on display. You, do you have digital things like maps and things like that or, that people are using to reference? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I mentioned 6,000 people coming every year, but I think we get something like 80,000 um, hits each month to our material online. So we've got a pretty um, uh, lively um, digitization program. And obviously that our link with Max is, is through that. Um, and we've, in recent years, we've, we've had um, the 1915 crew list. We hold crew lists um, for 1915, which is the only year we hold them for during the First World War. And we digitized those and made them available. And they've been a fantastic resource and fantastically successful. Um, funnily enough, not in ways that we thought they, they, they would be necessarily, because the ability to search those by, by um, place of birth has opened up a whole new um, area of research for people to, to, to understand the Merchant Navy during the First World War and exactly who were the people on British merchant ships at that time. What did you expect them to be used for and what, what surprised you then? Yeah, I think it was more family history. You know, people would just use them um, for family history and for perhaps sort of um, assessing which ships were going where. But actually, people got more interested in the in the crews um, uh, on the ships and the makeup of the crews. And um, I went to uh, Hong Kong uh, a year or so ago, Hong Kong and China, um, for a symposium on some of the Chinese battle flags that we have. And that was with a view to a loan to a museum um, in Guangzhou. Uh, and it was just interesting there when we uh, were demonstrating. Um, various things we had in museum collections. Um, at the end of the session we had with Chinese academics and some of the colleagues there who were in museums, we started looking at the 1915 database and, and typing in um, Shanghai as it, um, it was then and Canton as it was then. And the number of sailors from born in those areas and in, in other areas in China who were on British um, uh, merchant ships during the First World War was amazing. I think there was something like 6,000 born in, uh, in Hong Kong alone and then uh, 11,000 from Guangzhou so uh, and that got them really interested and we're still today talking to them about that and they're using it um, for their students to explore um, Chinese maritime history. So you find that people in different locations kind of utilize your collections for things you'd never have 
imagined, really. Yeah, definitely. We we had um, people will know Captain Cook's voyage, voyage, um, you know, the initial voyage in um, the, the late um, 1760s, when when he in uh, inverted commas found Australia. Although people have been there for hundreds of millions of years, probably beforehand. Um, but you know, he went on the endeavour, and there was a, a lot of speculation uh, around the anniversary of his. Um, uh, uh, his voyage about where Endeavour ended up and in fact uh, they only confirmed that through finding a document in the archive um, at Greenwich uh, which um, said that the ship had changed its name to Sandwich and during the French Revolutionary Wars had been scuffled and, and sunk um, just off Newport, Rhode Island to stop the French um, being able to access uh, the bay there um, and it was only a, a document in the Navy Board records in the in the library which said that there was an instruction there to scuttle these ships, one of which was a sandwich, and I believe they've now confirmed the endeavour and, and there's been um, a dive down there to, to look at the ship um, lying under the ocean um, just off Newport, Rhode Island. So again, something you wouldn't have expected the collections to be used for. What would be your ultimate kind of Indiana Jones find then, like your your golden moment where you go, oh my gosh, we cracked the case. Oh, what do you mean in terms of the collections? Yeah. Uh, something. As in terms of a favourite object, you mean, Faith or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I don't know, there's so many to choose from. We, we have a fantastic document that is that is a codicil to, to Nelson's will that he wrote on the way to Trafalgar, and, and it's sort of written in very shaky handwriting. You can tell he's extremely frightened, and there's this theory that, um, you know, he, he thought, or he had a premonition he was going to die, which, of course, he did, he did die at the um, Battle of Trafalgar, um, but where he's you know, um, basically, you know, it's a heart-wrenching um, addition to his will where he finally admits that he, he'd fathered his, his daughter, Horatio, um, and that he wanted his um, uh, his daughter looked after after he died. Um, but you can see he's he's obviously very dubious about what he's um, going into. I mean, that that's, you know, a fantastic document and really spine-tingling. And with a name like Bly, the other one um, we've got is, is a... Um, a, a medical dictionary that was on the bounty and was used by the mutineers um, during the mutiny and afterwards. Um, and that's wrapped in the sailcloth of the ship, which is, again, when you hold that, you think, blind me, you know, this is amazing. That was on that ship and witnessed those events. Um, but we also have some fantastic documents that are perhaps not so iconic, um, uh, like a diary of a, a chap again at Trafalgar called James Spratt, who um, fantastic name and uh, um, an Irishman born in Dublin um, but he's quite famous for sort of single-handedly boarding the French ship the Lagle um, uh, he was on the defiance um, and jumped in the sea being only one of the only ones to swim and headed straight for the the French ship uh, and thought everyone was following him but they weren't and uh, when he got on um, the French ship he was on his own um, uh, and sort of fought off various Frenchmen. The story is quite a long one, but uh, but he ended up in Greenwich Hospital as a pensioner. Um, so so there's some very personal accounts, but also some really iconic items in our collections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are your hopes for the the future of the collection? I mean, there's not really um, a huge amount to add, but is there any items you've got your eye on, or any projects in the future you want to go forward with? I, th I think, I mean, uh, it, the, the beauty of the collections we have is they cover such, because everything was done by sea um, before the advent of, of aircraft and air travel, um, they cover everything from exp um, exploration, uh, obviously naval battles, the merchant navy trade, um, 
so so it's so wide ranging they can almost fit anything what's been really interesting um certainly in the last year or so is the um is is the impact of sort of um of of the collections on people's lives that we have obviously the the, the horrific events in america recently and the black lives matter campaign um we have collections that tell the story of empire unfortunately we have collections that tell the the story of slavery but they allow a, a much deeper um, uh, exploration of those subjects and why the empire had such an effect on, on the world and obviously the world had an effect on here on on us as a country um, and we're a multicultural society so I, I think my my aspiration ambition for the collection would be to open up more of those collections to, to a wider audience to to allow a better understanding of us as a nation and obviously that that links to brexit as well so um, yeah I think we're in a great position to be able to help people um, with some of those divisions with the inequality and injustice so um, and we've done bits of that in the past but I think the collections are, are so fascinating and so important um, we run a series of um, uh, sessions for secondary schools every week um, on slavery and the British Empire and those I think that's for local secondary schools and it's really important for um, kids today I think to understand um, where we came from as a nation and, and, and how we came to be as we are today so so yeah that'd be my aspiration to, to use them more to address um, perhaps some of the more challenging issues that are around today. Yeah using your collection to have a conversation about a different topic um, there's obviously recently there's been the statues being questioned kind of what is yep. the purpose of objects if, if you don't pay attention to the story behind them Mm, yeah. conversations with your current collection is certainly very enticing yeah yeah there's there's so much there as well faith and, you know and, and as i've been saying people see it from different angles depending on their perspective where they come from you know their families their communities uh, um we we need to do more of that more getting more uh, and different people um have more and different partnerships and explore them more fully that's what really brings them to life and makes them important um, and relevant do you um, sort of liaise with other maritime museums? Like open up your database with theirs. Um, you've mentioned one in Russia, which obviously you don't have access to because it's yeah. naval. But any others in the world that you have close contact with? We we've done projects with people like Mystic Seaport over in America um, and the Rights Museum uh, in Holland. We've uh, recently lent a few things to um, the National Museum of Singapore, which has a, a strong maritime element. The um, the Australian Maritime Museum in Sydney as well. So yeah, yeah, lots. And as, as I mentioned, uh, in China, there's a great interest in um, their maritime heritage um, because they're a, a fantastic and really important seafaring nation. Um, we hope to do an exhibition um, with some uh, Chinese museums in a couple of years time as well, exploring the sort of maritime equivalent of the Silk Road. Um, so yeah, there's a, a, an interesting, even, even within this country, you know, there's some really important museums that hold maritime collections. Um, and there's a new government initiative uh, around, uh, which is called Toward the National Collection, uh, which is trying to link up the collections um, across the board, you know, for all museums, in fact, but we're using that obviously from a sort of maritime perspective. Uh, and the idea is to do that through a digital platform and a digital network. So, so that's exciting for us as well. So what would that involve? I mean, would that just be collections access or would you have shared platform for conversation? I mean, that sounds really Yeah, 
<laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea is that um, initially you'd obviously um, people are digitising their collections all the time now, and that will only increase um, over the next few years, particularly with what we've just experienced and are experiencing through the pandemic. So um, even before that, they were, uh, I think, very keen that um, uh, to encourage research, really, because uh, the, the, the department, the government department who are pushing for this a UKRI, which is UK Research and Innovation, um, and their whole remit is around research. So the idea is to make it obvious and um, uh, give more information on where these collections are and the links between them. Um, I've in the in the, the, the uh, last few weeks been talking about, you may have seen as part of the Black Lives Matter campaign, this ambition for a, a museum of slavery and Sadiq Khan has also um, mentioned that. There is in fact, or was, I'm not sure if it's still going, one in Liverpool, but the point's been made that obviously items relating to slavery and the slave trade, the abolition of the slave trade are everywhere. Um, and we've seen that, uh, you know, what happened with the statue in Bristol, Bristol Archive have, have important collections as well. So I think the idea is to link these all up. Um, and I would you know, uh, hope the aspiration in the end is to link them up alongside themes. So um, you can, you know, type in a particular theme, theme and find out all the collections that are available um, to you as a researcher or even, you know, um, someone who's just um, interested generally. Um, and my understanding is the ambition is beyond that to then, then link that network um, to internationally so that you can actually, um, we've got plenty of stuff on, on China, but of course it, it's not really, available to look at um, or particularly consulting China at the moment but exactly as you say it would mean people um, in China could have um, their input and engagement online via some sort of digital platform. A long way to go but yeah really really exciting and, and probably fairly obvious as a way forward. No but that's the great thing about museums I feel like unlike other sort of um, areas of, of um, industry there's a lot of sharing and there's a lot of um, connection between all over the world yeah and, the, and these collections have you know sometimes where they've ended up is a bit sort of random you know you, you often wonder why has that particular place got that collection um uh, and and that only really works if you all because there's, there's various different arguments as to why a collection should be in a different place or um but but you know it'll work if everyone talks to each other keeps in communication um and links these things together which which we you know you can imagine we have again a lot of meetings about that as well with with partners a, a, across the um uk um and beyond so um yeah that is that is the benefit i mean we've all got these collections if you think of you know um naval lieutenants who were taught to draw and sketch um and we've got hundreds of their journals, um, logs, diaries, um, but obviously they're sketching um, maybe the coast of Australia as they go past, maybe the coast of Italy, maybe the coast of Egypt, you know, um, and obviously that's fantastically important for people um, uh, in Egypt to look at from a different perspective. They just thought they were training as lieutenants and drawing this coast, but actually it might tell some really important stories of, of that place at that time. So, so to broaden those uh, and make them more available um, to others in particular, particularly people who are based in the, the areas where they were sketching uh, on their way through um, would be fantastic. So finally, what is your most popular object, whether in person or if you've been able to track demographics online, what, what are people most interested in from Royal Museums Greenwich? It's a difficult one. Uh, you know, I, I'd 
You know, I'd say personally, the number of hits, um, uh, with, because of the number of hits to them, it is, it's the sort of family history related collections like, um, I, I've mentioned the Masters Made Certificates, the crew list. We've also got um, uh, a Merchant Navy Index from the Second World War, which has been pretty popular recently because of obviously the, the commemorations around the anniversary. Um, but then again, you sort of think, I mean, those are the ones that are accessed most regularly. Um, uh, and particularly things like the Masters and Mates um, uh, certificates, which pin down individuals and give you their sort of uh, the history of their their, their um, uh, time at sea. But then there's obviously, I, I mentioned the Armada portraits, that's had a lot of publicity at the beginning of the year and got a lot of visits. Um, and obviously, if you have a special exhibition, um, you know, that tends to be, you know, we get sort of um, towards 100,000 people, if you know, at the top end um, coming to see these exhibitions that feature some of the sort of um, uh, most important items in the collection. Um, and you'll probably know if you've been to the Maritime Museum, we have things on display like Nelson's coat at Trafalgar with the bullet hole in his um, shoulder. Um, so, uh, and, and people obviously come in looking um, specifically for that, some of them. So it's a bit difficult to tell, but I would think on a, on a regular basis, the, uh, the most frequently accessed, most popular are, are the family history collections, particularly relating to the Merchant Navy. Yeah, well, at the moment, obviously, you're not open because of coronavirus. Um, yeah. Do you have a website? Would you like to point people in a particular direction? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do do go on the website because we've got a fantastic online program as well. We just had World Oceans Day um, a couple of weeks or so ago. There was a, a complete online program for the day. We have a, a regular um, Thursday broadcast or a vodcast um, called um, Ships, Sea and the Stars, led by Helen Chersky, who you may know from the BBC. Um, and, and that's on a range of maritime issues, a sort of discussion panel, really interesting. And we've um, covered sort of trade, life at sea, isolation, um, mermaids, I think was one of them. So yeah, do go on, the website is um, www.rmg for Royal Museums Greenwich and it's .co.uk. Um, and that gives an indication on the, on the front page of, of, of what we're doing whilst we're closed. Um, and the ambition is obviously to open up reasonably soon when the government give the go ahead. So we're hoping in a limited way, we'll be, we'll be open from July, um, some, sometime in July. Oh, that's wonderful. Learn all the facts about mermaids and pirates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for talking to me today. It's been really interesting. Um, your archive sounds enormous and fascinating. Um, I've wished you the best of luck giving people more accessibility and expanding the themes that people are, are talking about your objects. Thanks very much, Faith. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Cheers.